Good morning, church family. Rise and shine. What a beautiful day the Lord gave us. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, yesterday, if you were, I want to thank you, personally thank you, if you helped uh, in any capacity, in any way, for Vacation Bible School. Uh, What a blessing to see uh, just that to turn out so well for the kids and stuff here. So we're just really, really thankful for that. And uh, and yes, our annual baptism and uh, and picnic. So prepare for that. Invite family. Uh, if you, if, if, baptism-wise, there is a sign-up sheet we'll have. Make sure, and we'll make a link there. There many have been uh, saved over the last several weeks, and so we will have uh, that prepared and ready to go. Just just take a step of faith there. You committed to to Jesus. You're saved. Now just to have witnesses to see what's been done in your heart already. And that's what baptism is all about, isn't that word? And we get to fully immerse you to show you the complete death, just burial of the old self. And what a beautiful it is, a celebration that your brothers and sisters get to witness that. So look forward to that over there. Pray for good weather. <laughs> Even if it rains, we do it as long as it's not thunder and lightning. And then, you know, some of you might need to get a little shocking, you know, and just. Uh, but anyway, let's go with that. Hey, please stand. Let's do a reading together. Our scripture reading here comes out of John chapter 16, verse 33. Read it out loud with me, please. Jesus said here, this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Father, we thank you for your word and your promises. Yes, you promised there would be tribulation that we would face as believers in this world. But you are our peace. You're the Prince of Peace. We want your peace to come in and settle within us, Lord, to help us to walk us through these things that we will face in this world. We can be of good cheer. We don't have to be depressed and downtrodden at all. You can fill us with your peace, fill us with your strength, and walk us through these difficult times that we face currently or will face. Why? Because we know the one who has saved us, the one who we follow, our Savior Jesus Christ, has overcome the world, has overcome death. Lord, we celebrate in that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Revelation chapter 2. We pick back up here in verse 8 and we take the next church that we have been started to study as of last week. We looked at the very first of the seven Jesus letters to the seven churches in Asian Minor. As a summary, if you remember in verses 1 through 7, We saw Jesus' letter going out to the church of Ephesus. This church was an emphasis was around their highlighting their hard work. They were working hard in that church, doing everything to seem everything was right, everything was good, and perseverance and just doing what they're doing. Go, 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 go. And God, Jesus himself recognized and saw all these things that are going on in that church. But they had a a criticism, a major criticism about that church. Nonetheless, neither the less, I I know all the things I just told you. But there's one thing I have that's very serious I have against you. And that is, you've left your first love. What does that mean? You have no passion for Christ anymore. You're going through the religious side. Yes, your doctrinal stuff is solid. You got your doctrinal stuff down. Yes, you have the programs for everything. You have programs to meet everyone's need just to make sure they're, they just get all their little needs taken care of. But you have no passion for Christ. There is no personal love for Christ. The church as a whole doesn't have love for Christ. They're just going through the programs, making sure everyone knows that they know the doctrine. 
But where's the love for Christ? And Jesus called him out on that. And he says, you have to repent. The exhortation is you have to repent. You've got to change. You've got to have the passion for Christ. And if you do that, the reward is, is you'll have the right to, to eat from the tree of life that is located in the midst of the paradise of God. <laughs> How about you? That's going to be a great meal. I can't wait to partake of that tree. And wait till we talk about that tree when we get later on in the book of Revelation. But today we're going to read eight, verses 8 through 11 real quick. And then we're going to take it verse by verse and break it apart here. For those who are taking notes, I encourage everyone to bring something to take notes with. And it says in verse 8, And in, to the angel of the church of Smyrna write. Remember, the angel is speaking here. Angelios means, that means a pastor, the leader of that church that's held responsible to, to feeding that flock, to take care of that flock, to watch over that flock. That's what I believe is the angel that he's referring to here. These things says the first and the last who was dead and, and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now as we take a look at these verses this morning, Keep in mind, as we look here, the character. Remember, each of these letters have seven elements to it that we want to make sure we bring a pull apart to each one of those. Do some comparison with the other churches so that you understand. But we start off here, the letter going out to the leader there of the church of Smyrna to then share with the congregation. Imagine you being able to read this letter as a leader of this church. Imagine the leader of Ephesus. Oh, Jesus said himself, look at how all the things that we have in order. Everything is clockwork, man. We got the programs. We got all this stuff. But whoa, we got to the letter when it says, but scratch all of that. What I want you to hear is that you have left your first love. Now, you didn't, lo you didn't lose it. You left it. You left the first love. You left a passion for Christ. The love for your Savior. You're just going through the religious kind of routine, ritual kinds of stuff. you you, you got to come back to the passion of Christ. This church, very different. Very, very different. And the fact that, yes, they were in a city not too far, 35 miles north of Ephesus. Also serving a very uh, port kind of, seaport kind of atmosphere. We find historically this is a very large, beautiful, proud city port of about 200,000 people at the time. It's over 2 million today. Of all of these churches that we're going to be talking about, this is the only church, only place that is still in existence today. All these other places have been unexistent. Dried up ports, dried up cities, no church, no Christian church there, except for this place. But when you look at this and you see on 200,000 people, they were reaching in that community of 200,000 people, slightly larger than what we're trying to do, about 150,000 in Jefferson, Jefferson County here. And it was a center of learning and culture and proud for their city. It was a jewel city of the Roman Empire because they actually had to recreate it when it got destroyed at one point. It had to recreate it. It became the glory of Asia. Beautiful city. Everything that it wanted to offer for people was available to them, plus some. 
Yes, it was a rich city, just like Ephesus. Ephesus was rich. Why? Because it was the uh, financial banking system in Ephesus, you remember. But they're still rich because there was so much flow of, of products, goods, and services through this area. It became very wealthy. It stood at the end of the road which served the valley of the river Hermos. And it was a trading, a valley trading markets and found. It was just flowing through Asia is coming through this place. And that port was the only port that could be actually open and closed to protect it from any, any attacks from the enemy. Other ports were very vulnerable, but they could actually physically close their port. It became a very strategic place for that. It was a protected harbor. It specialized in the trade of wines. Commercial greatness. We would call the city in Turkey today Izmir or Izmir. That is the current name of the city that used to be Smyrna. Now we also know from history that it was a city deeply committed to idolatry. It was a city that worshipped the Roman emperor ultimately. On our famous street of Samaria called the Golden Street, it stood the magnificent temples of Sabali, Apollo, uh, Aphrodite, Zeus. They were all these built temples up around this, these hills that everyone worshipped these false idols. Quite the magnificent place. But the worship of these pagan gods was a dying out thing that was going on. And so what happened is when one cult or one false religion starts dying out, another one will spring up. Because that guy never really fulfilled what they were looking for. And what happened is they turn to a worship that was of the government to worship the Roman emperor himself. In 196 BC, Cerna built the first temple of De Roma. It's the goddess of Rome. Just worshiping the goddess of Rome. And it's that spiritual symbol of the Roman emperor that people, they were trying to get them to worship and to follow and to, to commit to and to, to, to make decisions based upon. But once the spirit of Rome was worshipped, small s, it wasn't much of a step to then turn around, and if it doesn't fill you, you always have to add something. You're always looking to make sure you add to, to keep people's attention. So you no longer want to worship just the goddess of Rome, just a symbol of the Roman Empire. No, no, no. Now we need to take a step into worshiping emperors of dead emperors. Let's worship the dead emperors that have served this Roman Empire that we worship. And when that wasn't fulfilling, then it was just so easy to take the next step to worship the live emperors and to demand such a worship was evidence of this political allegiance and this civil, civic pride that was trying to get the people to follow. It's a slippery slope. In AD 23, Smyrna won the privilege over the 11 other cities in that Asian minor to build the first temple to worship the emperor Tiberius Caesar. Now they've actually built one in the name of a guy and looking like a guy. And so Smyrna becomes the leading city in the Roman cult of emperor worship. That was the place to go. See, the Roman Emperor Domitian in 81 to 96 was the first to demand worship under the title of Lord. Because it never stops with just symbols. It never stops with just certain things and certain ways. And oh, voluntary, you can freely come and do it. But eventually what the Satan wants to do is to draw you slowly into a point where you now no longer voluntarily come to the Roman emperor to worship and to give honor to. Now it's to a, specifically to a man. And now the man gets into power and he demands that you now call him Lord. That's how it works. 
See, the emperor worship had begun as a spontaneous demonstration of gratitude of what Rome has done. Because remember, in those days, there was thieves and you couldn't freely move trade around. You couldn't freely take your family on vacation and not be thinking the thugs are going to, you know, at gunpoint, uh, <laughs> a spear point, whatever it is, and to take your stuff and take everything. You could not freely move in those days. Rome, by coming in and taking over power, became and put a civil, civil kind of constraint in. And the, 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 the power of Rome said, you will not be stealing from the people. No, you're not good. You're going to allow the movement of trade goods and services to freely come and go. There was something really good that came from that. They built a road system to freely move products, goods, and services. But now they say, because we've given you all of these things for you, the people, now you need to now show respect and honor to us because we've taken care of you. We've provided safety. We've provided financial support. We've provided... So you're going to honor us and you're going to show this and show that. And eventually, someone gets themselves in a position where they have such power as Domitian had. Now you have to call him Lord. Now, it's interesting when you take a look at this, that what they demanded and how you were to worship now these, this, to show your, your, your allegiance to the government and to this man, our Caesar, Caesar worship, it was, became this requirement. And what they had to do as every Roman citizen must burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the Godhead of Caesar. All you had to do is to come in annually, take that pinch of incense, burn it on the altar, you get a certificate, you literally got a certificate, that allowed you to now, to freely do what? To move about and to get a job. Because they had guilds. Guilds, trades, Stone workers, gold, uh, gold workers, all the workers, the trades, we called them, um, probably we would call them today uh, unions. And so what happens if you wanted a job in the union, you better have that certificate to show your allegiance and you have annually had that allegiance and showing your commitment and worshiping the Lord of Domitian. And if you didn't take the pitch, you don't work. You don't travel. And so what happened is the Christians of that day said, we do not call any other man Lord. There is only one Lord, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. We do not, our allegiance is not to any other government or to any other man. We don't worship another man. But they're saying, wait, wait, wait. All we're saying is you to do a pinch of incense at the altar, get your certificate, and then you can go worship any other gods. We didn't say you can't worship other gods. But you just had to make sure you're worshiping Domitian, the Lord. Caesar, the Lord. And Christians refused to do that. And so what happened? They were persecuted for their faith in Jesus and allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. No jobs, cast out, outcasts, persecuted, everything, you lose everything. Everything. For them to walk into a church means you were labeled and you were going to die eventually. You were going to get marked. You were going to lose everything. That means you lost family. You lost friends. You weren't invited to the barbecues. And this is family, let alone your work environment. Imagine you're a father of a family and you become saved. Commit your life to Jesus. That was not something you get to just freely do on your own. It, was an, it had an impact on your wife and your children and all the people that surround you. It was absolute commitment to serving Jesus Christ. Why? Because you knew you were going to be persecuted, possibly more than likely death for that decision you made. Our brothers and sisters in China, in the, the Muslim world, the, India, all, 
that is happening today. The Smyrna of that day is Smyrna of today. It, we, we have a problem on the Western world because we don't face those things. We think we're not a Smyrna. We can't be a Smyrna because it's not the Smyrna of that day is not. To, no, no. You forget the majority of the rest of the world are a Smyrna church. They're being persecuted because not because they have a think you see some people think they're being persecuted and there's oh this tribulation in their lives. Why? Because you got a tummy ache. No. Just because you got a tummy ache, a headache, and a backache doesn't mean you're being persecuted or tri tribulation and, and all these. No, they, because of their identity in Jesus Christ, brought about persecution and tribulation. That's what it's talking about here. Just because we're not experiencing outwardly in the Western cultures a Smyrna environment where the government is absolutely going to take everything away from you because of your identity in Jesus Christ. It is happening in the Smyrna churches all around the other parts of the world today. And so we see here. The Christians were not going to get a certificate. They're not going to have something to prove they took the pinch at the altar. Because they served Jesus. And Jesus is alone as their Lord and Savior. Now look here at the end of verse 8. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. This is a very important verse here because remember, in this other thing, Jesus describes himself where? Just like in the first church, he pulls it out of the first chapter. Go back to look at verse 11 and verse 17 there where he talks about the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I have experienced it all. I've even experienced death and life. Remember, I was born. I died for you on the cross and then I rose from the dead after the third day. I am alive. I've experienced what you were experiencing. You're going to be persecuted. I was persecuted. They're going to bring you to death. I went to death. And when, you, when I came back, I came back alive. And I'm going to take you from death and I'm going to lift you up into eternity. You'll never die. You'll have eternal life. So Jesus is sitting here letting us know, I am chosen, I, I, this title, this thing I'm, I'm telling you right here to this church, the first and the last is absolutely the appearance here. I'm telling you, this is my character. And that character is only identified with God and God alone. We know that this is Yahweh according to Isaiah 41.4. According to Isaiah 44.6. Isaiah 48, 12. That identity of first and the last is only the name of Yahweh. That is the definition of God. Jesus is saying, I am God. Don't let anyone else convince you of that. Take him to the scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But he also gives another title here who was dead and came to life. He pulled that out of chapter 1, verse 18 here. He chose this title of his, his initial appearance to John here to remind the Christians of Smyrna that they serve the risen Lord, the victorious Lord over death. I've overcome death. Death could not hold Jesus and it will not hold down his people. Do you believe that? You must, my brothers and sisters. Because the association with death and the victory of resurrection is throughout this entire letter, and we get to have the benefit, in the, the benefit from that because of that relationship with Jesus. The name of Smyrna comes from the word myrrh. It's a sweet-smelling perfume used to, for the embalming of dead bodies. Where have we seen that herb before? We see it identified right from the very beginning, do we not, at the, his birth? We see it when the kings brought the, 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 the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh and brought it to him when he was born. We also see it on the cross when the soldier tried to give it to Jesus, but he refused to take it to deaden his pain. And then we see a third time of myrrh, and that's when the women came to the 
to the tomb to embody and to put more myrrh in the embalming process of the body of Jesus that morning. When those women showed up on that Easter Sunday morning, that Resurrection Sunday, that was what was in hand, those spices. But why didn't that, 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 didn't, that didn't matter? Because when they got there, he wasn't in the tomb. He was risen. He is alive. We worship Jesus who is alive. We do not worship a dead saint or a dead religious leader. We are never to worship them. We only worship our Lord God. So too, when Jesus returns in his second coming, guess what's going to happen? We see in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, the people of Sheba will bring gold for the king, frankincense for the priest. That's what, that's what was the purpose for it. But they won't bring the myrrh this time. You know why? Because he's, they're not bringing the myrrh to bury Jesus. Jesus is alive, and he is coming back in the second coming. When we're coming back with him, he's coming back to rule and reign. He is never going to die. There's no purpose for myrrh. And we're going to be ruling and reigning with them, are you? Yes. If you're saved, yes, you will be. Verse 9, I know your works. Jesus says this and gives those words to John to write down. All the churches, I know your works. He knows every church. He knows exactly what's going on. He says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty... But he makes a note, but you are rich. And I know, note these words, I know, I know, I know. And I even know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, religious people here, and are not. But are of a synagogue of Satan. These religious people, they're just gathering together. And being influenced by Satan to come against you, the follower of Jesus Christ. He says, I know these things. Jesus knew the works of the church of Ephesus. We see that in verse 2 of chapter 2. And in Smyrna, he says he also knows their works, their tribulations and poverty. Three things he highlights here. He knows, these, knows about these Christians in Smyrna that's going on. He knows about their hardships. They know that they seem to, they're constantly having the pressure because in the words here, these works means that they're doing things for God. They're for the benefit of God, the benefit of God's people. This is what they're doing. He says, I see them. You're just not a, you're not a Christian in name only. You're serving God. But I also see the tribulation. That Greek word means a pressure. It's like, the, it, it, like you're laying on your back and this, this, this massive stone is being laid upon your chest. You barely can breathe. That's how they used to kill them. Placing massive rocks in their chest and slowly losing their breath and they can't catch their breath and they suffocate. I understand the pressure you're under following Jesus. The mocking that you happens at work and the casting out, you feel like an outcast and an outlaw. They're constantly after you. Pushing your buttons and saying side marks. I know the tribulation you're going through. Because I went through it. I went through that mocking, spitting upon. Not sure if you got to the point where they ripped the beard out of your out of your out of your face, but I assure you that hurts. If you haven't got to the point where they're whipping you across the back and ripping your muscles down to the nerves open and raw and bleeding out, if that hasn't happened to you, 
I, it has happened to me. I understand the level of persecution that can happen. Our brothers and sisters today are being beheaded because of their faith. He says, I see it all. I see everything that is going on in your life, and I'm telling you right now that I know. Because many times as we walk this life as a Christian, we're always asking, does God really understand? Does God really know? Is God going to show up? Is God going to help me? Yes. He will. He is. He's going to. Ultimately, we're going to be in heaven. In a matter of a twinkle in the night, we can be out of here. He knows what you're going through. And the persecution and the challenges of being, living a Christian life. I know you're, you're actually poor. I know you've lost everything. You've lost your house. You've lost your job. you lost money. The word here for poverty is a very, 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 very serious and strong word in the Greek. It's an abject poverty. That means you absolutely have nothing to your name. We think people around here are poor, but you've got cell phones, you've got a place, you've got clothes, you've got, and you're thinking, I'm poor. We're talking abject poverty to where it's hopeless poverty. You have nothing. You barely even have clothes on your back. You have nothing. And he says, I see you still gathering together as a church, as a church body, gathering together from house to house, going to there, and you have nothing. And I see it. But you still fellowship, you still identify as a Christian, you still identify with other Christians, and it didn't sway you because your love and your passion for Christ is far seeding whatever this world can offer. Because Jesus tells them through this letter, you may have absolutely nothing, you hopelessly have nothing, but you are rich spiritually because when you are absent from this body you will be in the presence of the Lord and you will inherit heavenly things this stuff is all going to burn but nothing will burn in heaven it's eternal you may body may be broken by people because of your persecution but I am going to give you a new body your name might have, might have been completely devastated and just run through, the, just killed your, 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 who you are and just slandered every way. Don't you worry because I know your name. My brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what this world thinks. It only matters that God knows your name. And you're a child of God. And he will bring us through these things. All your personal experiences, he knows the hardships of those personal experiences that you're dealing with right now. And the Christians of Smyrna knew poverty because they were robbed and they were they fired from jobs and persecuted for sharing the gospel. And, and these were very serious economic persecutions that were coming upon them. And do we not see a slight piece of that when people chose to not do something because the government said it because that is against what they believed and look how they lost their jobs even in current days that doesn't give you a snippet of what is uh, to come and what has already been happening around the the Smyrna churches around the world have been dealing with we got a snippet of that when the government came and said you cannot open up and allow you to come together as the word of God said to worship God he says you he, that government was telling us we could not come and do what the Bible said when you see these things look up 
I draw near. I'm coming back. And what happened is during these challenging times, you know what was happening in that church. They were dividing within the church. Oh, you should just go take a pinch. And you come back and worship Jesus. It's okay. Just do a pinch. Get the certificate so you can feed your family and take care of your family and have a house of your Just compromise a little bit. It's no big deal. It's just the government. Follow the government rules. Not if they're going to conflict with the word of God, you don't. And we'll all be faced with those decisions. I know the blasphemy. Jesus knew the abuse that these Christians were enduring in the hands of religious men. Those who say they are Jews and are not. Historically, we're told there, there was a large and hostile community of Jews in Smyrna. But this tells us that a true Jew is one who trusts God and believes in Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.3. Others may be Jews ethnically. They were born with the Jewish ethnically, but that still does not put them in a right standing with God. You need to know Jesus, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. These Jews were not spiritually Jews before God. They're just traditions, just rituals, just routine. But he says, I know. I know your works of tribulation. I know the blasphemy that's coming against you. In the midst of all kinds of affliction, he's saying to that church, he says, I know it it is easy to think God has forgotten you, but he hasn't forgotten you. He knows you. He knows your circumstances. But you're rich. When you read all seven of these churches, this is the poorest church of all the seven churches, but they are the richest, and they're the only ones still standing today. See, Jesus thought of them, knew them, considered them rich even though physically situationally they were poor God see a value there compared to Laodicea at the last church the seventh church we see in chapter 3 verse 17 we see that that church was a very rich church but very poor spiritually And Jesus says, it's better for you to be poor physically, but rich spiritually. That's what will bring glory to God. Smyrna was also rich in leadership. Why? Because we know one of the pastors that pastored that church was by the name of Polycarp, and he was one of Apostle John's disciples and served at Smyrna until A.D. 155, and when he died heroically as a martyr, as an old man. Verse 10. Now Jesus says to them and wants to focus on to kind of to to encourage them to to lead them here he says do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested (laughs) i know some of you are like what and you will have tribulation 10 days be faithful until death and i will give you what the crown of life Notice here, there are no words of accusation against them. There's no critical note here about them. Not like Ephesus when he says, you've literally left your first love. You've lost your passion for Christ. That is absolutely 
<laughs> you, you have got to repent and turn around. You grow so cold, even though you're still religious, you're so cold of, of, of the passion for Jesus. You're... But in this church, not one thing is Jesus highlighting that is wrong with that church. Not one. No words of accusation are given to the congregation. They may not have enjoyed the approval of men, but they certainly received the praise of God, and that's what we want. Notice here, Jesus is gives these words to John to encourage the people, do not fear. A nice literal translation is stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Which means what? They were very afraid. The Christians in Smyrna suffered such persecution, was under so much pressure, they were afraid. Sometimes we think that Christians who endure persecution are almost like superhuman. Like, how did that happen? How could that be? I can't even imagine. We sometimes think and don't even appreciate the depths of fear they were going through in that situation. And then God miraculously brought them through all of that. You may not think you could go through persecution right now. But at the moment, at the time when that happens, if you're trusting in Jesus, he miraculously gives you the strength to be able to overcome the fear and to walk through that serious situation of persecution. He'll only give it to you at that moment of time. Right now we're preparing ourselves for that. Praying that it doesn't happen to the degree that is happening to our brothers and sisters. But be willing to say and trust the fact that you know your Lord and Savior so well. He'll never leave you or forsake you in those moments. Never. The bombs might be going off at war. But God is still in control of your life. You may have lost your job because you took the step to share the your faith with someone who asked you about your, what did you do this weekend? And you shared, oh, I went to church, I love Jesus, do you know Jesus? And that got you fired. God knows. He's got something better for you. He'll bring you through it. See, he knew they were afraid. There were these things which were about to, they were notice what the scripture says. It wasn't that, don't be afraid, stop being afraid, I'm going to keep you from the, the persecution. He didn't say that. He says, do not fear any of those things, whatever those things are, you can place your thing in there, which you are about to suffer. He says, you're going to suffer. But don't be afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid. But why is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Why is this happening to me? He says to them, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. He tells them what's going to happen to them. Imagine. Someone brings a letter in here. Hello, uh, Pastor, I've got a letter for you that I, I think is of the Lord, and I, I want you to read it, and, and I read it all to you. Don't be afraid. Some or all of us are going to be thrown into prison here soon. What would be the first question in your mind? Why? Because you're a Christian identified because you came into these doors. They have all your names and you're sitting here. That's a test, is it not? And the bottom letter says, you have five minutes to get out of the building and you won't go to prison. Would you get up and run out? And by doing that, you're denouncing Jesus? That's what they were asking him to do. Just take the pinch. Just devote your life to the, the government, to the emperor. You can go do whatever you want to do. Play your whatever. But just you have to get the certificate if you're going to continue to live. See, these are the things 
that we're in some form or fashion, these things, we're going to suffer for our faith in, in Jesus. Everyone has their own different degree in what God is gracious, <laughs> graciously will bring us through. But no, he says the devil is one in the middle of this trying. Why is the devil in the middle of trying to take them out? Why, are they, why is the devil working to put them in prison? Can you can, think about it real quick? Why would they do that? So they could suppress them from continuing to do the work of God. That's why. Why do they suppress and put them in prison? So you can't share the gospel. So it can't spread. That you would be, remember, their prisons was never a rehabilitation kind of a concept that we have. They don't have five foot screen TVs. They don't have the personal health care, guaranteed meals, clean and beds and all these. Those prisons, when you were in prison, you went there to die and suffer, to be waiting for execution. That is why you went to prison. You didn't ask to go into prison because you were on homeless, because you needed meals and you needed a place. It was better to go back in the prisons what we see today. They weren't looking to rehab. They were looking to take you out. Polycarp was brought in front of them and said, denounce, the old man, denounce your... Well, let me rephrase that. Not to denounce. You need to, to take the pinch and do it and, and worship and call Caesar Lord. And he says, I refuse. Ultimately, the story, I don't have time to go to it, but ultimately, they brought him in the middle of the arena, put the wood, Jews rushed to put the wood around him to burn him at the stake. Most of you know the story, don't you? They lit that on fire, and God literally put a, a bubble around him, and he did not burn. Didn't burn, it frustrated him to the end. And then they asked to go and take a spear. And one of the guys went up there and threw a spear into his side to kill him because they were so frustrated that God was preserving his life. Just like they did with John and, and tried to boil him in oil and God would not let him die and even singe at all in the boiling oil. So they put him on the island of Padmos. Polycarp, they sit there and they try to burn him, couldn't burn him. And so what they do, they threw a spear into his side and so much blood came out that it, Yes, killed him, but it put out the fire. See, they were dealing with true death, tribulation. And according to Jesus, the persecution was from the devil. And it was at this time, it was measured and limited by God. Even though God allowed this to happen. Why? Because he was testing them and refining them through these persecutions, these tribulations, these situations. That they were being refined through that poverty. They were being refined through the tribulation. They were being refined through those works. And what happens is God stills in control. Why? Because he says the tribulations for 10 days. Now, lots of people will debate over what 10 days means. But I keep it very simple when I look at this, the 10 days because some think Jesus really met 10 years of persecution. Others will try to gain that a little bit and, and think it's because it's talking about the 10 Roman emperors starting from Nero all the way to Diocletian. Uh, those 10 and it was the 10 periods of these 10 emperors and that was persecution. I don't believe that either. But others think the 10 days were just an expression of, of speech. My position is I believe it was literally God saying, yeah, I'm going to let you test and, and test these people, but I am in control and it's literally 10 days. That's it. 10 days, limited time you get. And where do I see that? I go back to the scriptures and I find other places where there's 10 days in regards to the limited time that God controls. Go back to Genesis 24:55 and Acts 25, 6. You can believe whatever you want. I'm just telling you, God limited in control of what goes on in our lives. Even if he allows the devil. He did it to Job. He did it to Job. And through it all, who gets the glory and honor through all that? God does. And he also then brings you through it. And what do you do? You praise God for bringing you through that situation. 
And he gets honor and glory from you as well. And you're deepening your faith and trust in him. He's brought you through that persecution, through that persecution, through that moment of poverty, through that peace. He brings you through over and over and over. And it builds your faith up in knowing God is a great God that you serve. You'll be tested. Even if it comes from the devil. Because God has a purpose in that suffering. Some people say, why did God allow that person to have to go through that stuff? He's allowed it because of a greater purpose than we can see at that moment. The persecution you're going through is for a greater purpose in God's view than we understand at that time. Hindsight, we get to look back and see it and praise him for it. Because as God does this and uses suffering to purify us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Some of us would not change unless we had that, that persecution. Some people would not change unless you had that persecution to purify your heart, to get some of the junk that's out of your heart. Sometimes he allows it just so that we become more like Jesus, Romans 8, 17. Our Savior was persecuted how can we say we're not, we shouldn't be persecuted? We also see through the ages, the blood of martyrs have been the seeds for the church. The more the persecution happens, the bigger and stronger the church is. Ask China. See what's happening in the Muslim world today. Mosques are closing down because Christianity, the love of Jesus is spreading throughout that world. Why? Because they're being persecuted. Why are the churches in the United States going down? Because there's no persecution. But God allowed. God is interested in the testing. God is going to bring them through this. And again, this is the only church among the seven survives today. And it's because they were refined to the degree that they were not going to be shaken by anybody or anything. They were committed to Jesus. All the way down, as God says here, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He didn't have a single rebuke word for this church. The, the, the language is, says be faithful until death, but it's really becoming faithful. It's a growing perspective as you grow to your near faith, grow into your faith until death. He says you are going to be rewarded with the crown of life. In the Greek, there's two different crowns. There is the crown that the king wears, the crown of royalty, and the other one is the Stephanos, which is the crown of a trophy of an athlete. Because in that community, they were very much into athletics. And it's all about performance, all about winning and getting the crowns. And they would get those, that wreath made of leaves. Now that wreath died. You know, It's only a matter of time that, that, that thing died because it was off the vine. Turning brown. It was temporary excitement, but they got to be acknowledged by man that they achieved great things by winning the race. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a crown that will last for eternity. The crown of life. He'll give you the crown of eternal life. Be, continue to grow in your faith until death, and you will receive the crown of eternal life. I hope that's what you want. Because that is what we have here as he promises you will have the eternal life. Just remember, life was not going to end here. It's going to continue into eternal life. You're not going to die like those who reject Jesus and don't want anything to do with Jesus. They are going to die a second death there. They're going to be separated from God for eternity. But not you. You'll have eternal life and be in his presence for eternity. Because you've chose to faithfully stay committed to him. We see in James 1.12, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you love Jesus? 
Do you love Jesus? He loves you. He loves you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. He gives the general exhortation here to, to, to the encouraging where he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember, all seven churches have that same statement of encouragement. He who has an ear, do you have an ear? Not so much physically, but do you have an ear? Meaning, are you listening? Or are you just tuning me out? Are you just tuning out the word of God right now? Or are you actually listening? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, notice here, plural, churches. Meaning all the churches saw all seven of the statements that Jesus' letters is writing. They're seeing them all. Because what church are we? What church are you today? So far, are you in Ephesus where you've got your religious things down, but you have no passion for Christ? You're just going through a ritual thing. You just come in, you sit down, you get up, you go out, and you, oh, checkbox, okay, yep, yep, yep. And I give a little bit of money because they ask for the money all the time. And you go through the rituals, but no passion for Christ, commitment for Christ, then you're in Ephesus. Are you being persecuted? Do you feel the pressure of being a Christian everywhere you turn? You're doing really good works for God. You're really serving God. You want you desire, you desire to serve God. But you don't have a lot to, to, physically. You don't have a lot. You're poor. You have, but you're, you, you, you give whatever the Lord is leading you to do. But you're being persecuted. Oh, you want to be a Smyrna. <laughs> I know some of you are like, no, I don't. But if that's where you're at, you're a Smyrna today. As a church, are we a Smyrna? We're not a wealthy church. There's no golden chandeliers. I don't have all the resources in the world here. But are we faithfully serving? Yes. Do we desire to know the word because Jesus is the word? Do we follow him and serve him and love him and desire to go deeper in our relationship with him and know what he wants us to do? Absolutely. We're not walking away from the word, my brothers and sisters. We're not going to compromise here and walk away from the word of God. Not here. Why? Because our life depends on it. Do you want a crown of life? I want a crown of life. And I want to encourage you to have a crown of life. I really do. As a pastor, as a, the angel of the church, as they say. I want you to be so faithful in serving God. Why? Because we have ears to hear we want to know what the Spirit of God is saying to us. And he speaks to us through the Word of God to let us know his desires and what pleases him and moving him. We do not want to stray from that. And finally, at the very end of verse 11, he who, has, who, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes. The promise of overcomers. The promise for those who overcome the threat of persecution, the presence of persecution and the poverty that could possibly come from it, overcome it. Just trust God in walking you through this life. It's coming to an end, my brother says. We're going home. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. He's overcome it. I'm going to stick with him. I'm smart enough to know I'm going to follow a winner, and he won. He's got victory over death. He has the resources of eternity at his hands. 
I choose to follow him. Buddha has nothing. And all the other religious leaders, they're dead. Our Savior, one who gives us victory, is alive. It costs to be a dedicated Christian, you know that? In some places more than others. And as end times pressures increase, persecution will also increase. But God's people need to be ready. 1 Peter 4.12 says that we need to be ready. Are you ready? It's time to stop playing the games. Get, literally get, some of you guys, get rid of the games in your house. Christian men, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to hit a high note, but not for men. You're playing games, video games. Men, put away the toys. Put away childish things, the Bible says. Get to work and serving and loving your family and serving and loving God. Our times are coming very close. Are you ready? Be ready. You need to be there to strong enough spiritually to help your family through potential persecution. That is what God's called you to do as the husband of the family. Are you with me? That's not, I, I'm just, I'm lovingly, trust me, I could really go into a lot more, trust me. If you know me on men's, men's fellowship on Thursday nights, you know I can, I can be really truthful. <laughs> not all out of love. But I'm lovingly telling you and encourage you, just walk away from anything that's captivating your heart from Jesus and getting in the word and serving God and serving your families, loving your families. Why? Because the promise, he says at the end, shall not be hurt by the second death. Those who overcome in Jesus, there is no other way. As we sang today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. We will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? Hell. The lake of fire. What's the lake of fire, Pastor? Hang around. That's, that's Revelation chapter 20. <laughs> A few years from now. We'll get there. You know, Satan can threaten all you want. They can attack our life all he wants. But Jesus promises overcomers that death is conquered for you and I. See, we're all born once. Right? We're all born once. The question today is, were you born twice? Are you sitting here today saying yes in your head without a Doubt in your mind, you were born twice. What do I mean by that? For those who are like, oh, what does that mean? That means you're not born again. Because if you were born again and you literally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you remember the day when you were born again spiritually, you're now alive. You're a child of God. You remember that day. No one can even ask to, no one can convince you. They, why would someone be said, I, you're, you could have your head taken off or you could denounce Jesus and live? Why would they choose to have their, because they cannot deny the fact they were born again, they're a child of God. They cannot deny the faithfulness of Jesus is what they've done and saving them from their sins. They cannot deny Jesus. You've been born again. That's the second birth. Is that, do you have that second birth? Because if you don't, you need to get born again today. Because for those who have the two births, there's only one death. This body ends, and then we're in the presence of the Lord to live for eternity. But if you only have one birth, you're going to have two deaths. You'll die physically, and you will also die spiritually. You will never, you'll be in total darkness and pain and suffering for eternity separated from God in complete darkness and pain and, and a lot of heat. 
Now, your body won't, you, you're, you're, you're who you are, your soul, your conscience, doesn't die. It will live for eternity in hell. Today you have a choice. For those who are born again twice, born again experience, celebrate, rejoice, because our Lord is coming back. If you're sitting here and you've only been born once physically, you need to be born spiritually. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Because I know the Spirit is talking to you and knocking at the door of your heart because the Scripture says he talks, knocks at the door of every man's heart, every woman's heart. He gets his, your attention somehow and, sh- and reveals himself to you. Don't ignore that. Amen? Father, we thank you again for this day and thank you for your word. I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone online, if you're looking at the screen, I pray you will hear, have ears to hear. But the Spirit is telling you right now that he loves you and he wants you to accept him as Lord and Savior and ask for forgiveness. Just repent that you know you need to hear a sinner. You have been living a sinful life. You have lived wickedness. You live against the word of God. You're living selfishly, and you are saying, today's the day I need to end that. I need to stop living so selfishly, and I need to dedicate my life to you. And you choose today to be born again. You want to be born again. You want Jesus to come in. If the Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, just raise your hand. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Just raise your hand so I know who the Lord is speaking to this morning. I'm not going to call you out. I just need to know so I can pray for you who the Lord is touching. Take this step of faith. It is, that's what he's asking you. There's nothing else you take a step of faith to dedicate your life to Jesus. Anybody's going to raise your hand. You may not have a second chance. So everyone here is born again. No question in your mind. Living for Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you for this moment that we can make a recommitment even for those who have. That they've made a decision. Lord, no more messing around. No more playing around. I'm committing, recommitting, living for you because time is short. Persecution may be right around the corner or experiencing it today. I want to be ready. I want to please you. Thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy upon my life, all of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please.